Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of One Vision. Joining us this week is Jim Perry, Senior Strategist for Market Insights. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have no idea why it took us so long, and I have no idea why we <laughs> had not met each other in person, but we'll need to fix that. I, it I'm, is a mystery. Right? I'm sure. I think that the three of us probably like pass each other on the hallway somewhere, one of these conferences, um, the mystery of, of conferences. One of these days, we'll be back. Uh, so, Same thing happened with me and Jim Maroos for oh, really? like several years. We had spent all this time connecting and then finally uh, just online and through Twitter and all the rest. And then all of a sudden, there we were having a great chat in real time, face to face. It was yes. brilliant. Yes, yes. Those those mystery days, it will come back. Um, so you have been in financial services for many years. And, and for those of our listeners, uh, do follow Jim on Twitter. He, he's this one person that just every single day put out interesting news, news that you don't typically hear um, in, in the main newspaper, but about what's going on with the credit unions, what's going on with the communities, what banks are closing, consolidating, like all of the news that is just fascinating to read. So you, your feed, Jim, has been like my resource in the morning. I, I actually, it's pleasant and I love reading it more than newspaper. Um, oh, thank so, you. so in, in, you know, with your work experience, right, going back, um, time travel, in addition oh to my. financial services, right, you have worked in a few different nonprofit organizations. And I love this because I don't really yeah. meet too many people that have been in NGO as well as in financial services. That's a great yeah. Um, What are some of the most memorable moments that you can share with us? And, and, and talk to us a little bit about that pivot or, or the intersection, if you will. Okay. Um, that's really such a great question, um, because from time to time, I get the same kind of question from clients when they go to my LinkedIn and say, wait a minute, you didn't like study for this? You didn't go into banking like first thing in your career? It's like, uh, no, actually, no. Um, but it's also so interesting to learn about the kind of career trajectory of folks. And um, mine has been long enough that there's certainly been a lot of memorable moments. Um, as you may have seen on my like LinkedIn profile, one of my first uh, professional opportunities in the not-for-profit sector was um, with a hospice program. I was an executive director of a Medicare certified hospice program. And just thinking about the work that I was doing then and how that evolved, um, you know, that particular company, I remember sitting down in my first interview and they said, oh, by the way, about 25% of your time is going to have to be spent fundraising. It's like, wow, fundraising? I've not done that. I've never done that. Um, and of course, from there, my career trajectory sent me into professional fundraising, and I was working with child advocate organizations. Uh, I worked for a time in um, the effort to stop AIDS and uh, AIDS education. Um, and I think the common thread through a lot of what I've been doing professionally in my life, um, the most memorable moments have really been when it has to do 
with the resilience and the power of the human spirit. Um, I think about the times when I did work in hospice and you would see someone who was barely hanging on to life, um, but they were holding out for one important moment, like a moment to see a grandchild or a moment to, uh, you know, see some experience with a family member. And when I was working in child advocacy or working uh, in education, when groups, small groups of people were coming together to just make a difference in a community, um, it was that, again, that power and resilience um, that that always presented the most memorable kind of moments for me. Um, but the pivot really came when after several years working in the not-for-profit sector, focusing on fundraising and marketing and communication and all of the rest, it was like the financial services industry decided that some of those issues were important, that all of a sudden we had to worry about brand. All of a sudden we had to worry about um, how we communicate. It wasn't just about throwing product out in front of people. It was about these are the things that were starting to matter in the industry. And a very good friend of mine at the time um, had started a firm that was all focused on helping companies, uh, financial service companies, understand their data and how to use that data to make strategic choices. And uh, he tapped me and said, look, I think you'd be great. You could help us um, help some of our smaller banking clients really address these issues of communication, of brand, of marketing, of understanding data. Um, so I was able to bring some of those skills to bear. And um, then all of a sudden, I started seeing some of the same kind of behaviors in community bankers. I remember there was a, a banker in Illinois who was so determined. I mean, it was a passion for him to bring some, he used to describe it, I think, as the soul of his company. Um, and, and it was great to work with him because his goal was to really help reinvent banking in his community. Um, I, I think the way they articulated their purpose at the time was, look, we want to make sure that money is a source of empowerment, not a source of anxiety. And that was so different at the time, you know, for bankers to even think that way. Uh, so to to see a small community bank say, no, we're going to redesign our customer experience to make sure that none of our customers uh, feel like they're facing these issues alone, that they can actually depend on us as a partner to help them feel more empowered by their financial situation. So. Those are just a few of the kind of um, experiences that I've had through my professional career that remind me, at the end of the day, there's there's a human element in everything that we do, even in this extremely digital age. Um, there are ways to find the power and resilience of the human spirit. Um, that's what animates me. That's what excites me.
let's let's talk a little bit about that and some of the work that you're doing with banks then um, different ways that people have looked at innovation and reinvention on a both personal level and an industry level banks today are under such pressure to innovate and create better digital experiences to compete with larger banks with fintechs with big technology firms so when you work with your clients especially community banks or credit unions when you think about you know some of the things that you've done, what are some some of the work, especially during the past you know year year and a half during the pandemic, that banks have done to sort of change and reinvent themselves? Tell us about that kind of work. Sure, um, you know it's interesting. I wish I had more examples because a lot of the smaller institutions. Um, the innovation that was possible during the past year or year and a half um, really was shut down by the immediacy of addressing the concerns that were brought about by the pandemic. Um, now, obviously, there are great standouts in community banking space like Jill Castilla down at um, Citizens in Edmond, Oklahoma, and and others that really came up with amazing solutions, um, especially in digital space, to help people with PPP or with loan forgiveness or, or what have you. Um, but for the most part, um, there were a lot of institutions whose uh, digital transformation was shut down during this process, or um, they went to default mode and saying, you know what, if people can't come to our branches, instead of trying to come up with a new digital solution, we're just going to push them to our drive-through. And, and that's the only way we're going to be able to navigate this right now. Um, but thankfully, uh, you know, one of the things I do try to follow and talk about on Twitter a lot is when I see people doing things that really are making a difference. Now, this isn't a community bank, but US Bank, I thought it was pretty amazing when they finally came up with their video solution to install um, that one-way video screen into their app or their online experience that would allow someone to actually talk to a human being, someone that they might even know from the branch level uh, in their app, in that digital experience. And even to have that kind of co-browsing feature that they launched last year um, that allows the screen sharing that can make a digital human blended experience. I thought that was pretty incredible. Um, of course, I also think the kind of partnerships that we saw with with community banks and credit unions where several come together like through Ally Labs and others, or Alloy Labs, um, where they're pooling their resources to actually identify solutions that they can collectively bring to the table um, has been pretty important. But um, every once in a while, I'll hear of somebody that's doing some pretty unique things too. There was a group in um, Pennsylvania, um, Somerset uh, Trust. Uh, they're in Southwest Pennsylvania. They actually had partnered with a FinTech to be able to uh, offer specific banking services in digital space for uh, gig workers, uh, for those that 
those independent contractors, those 990 employees. And I think there were, in Pennsylvania alone, there were like over 600,000 uh, identified, you know, potential customers that could use that very specific assistance on, okay, this is how we're going to pay for our taxes. This is how we're going to make sure we can cover our um, quarterly obligation. Um, all of these kinds of things that was very specific, very focused, um, very targeted to a niche opportunity in that area, but they brought it to bear in digital space. Um, and you may have also seen there was a group uh, of small bank, Vista Bank in Tulsa that I think it was probably about a year ago this time that they said, look, cryptocurrency is something we need to be able to offer to our customers, the ability to buy, sell, et cetera, in a seamless kind of fashion. So they did the kind of partnership that allowed them to bring these kind of digital experiences to bear. But honestly, there are a lot of community-based institutions that really just hunker down and they may do with whatever like digital options they had at the moment and they did nothing to really innovate. And that's why I think you've got so many people right now that are kind of behind the eight ball. Yeah, we we do we do um, see quite a bit of of the top and pull and the struggle there, if you will. Um, it's almost like a chicken and egg situation in in a lot of ways too. So we let let's flip a little bit. Um, you know, you you touched on something about drive through banking. I the first time I actually went through drive through actually was last year when I had to close a bank account for the kids, and um, and we had to go through a drive through. I never seen one in my life. And I saw the canister that shoots up and you shoot it back down. The kids thought it was, it was interesting. And I thought so too, like, oh, okay, well, that's one way to do it. Um, and they had a little, um, video screen, uh, on the side where you shoot down the canister. So you actually see an actual human behind that big wall, just that you cannot get close to it. Um, right. So it was, it was, it was <laughs> neat. I'm like, okay, that's one way to do it. I mean, you know, it works. Um, so, but, but let's talk about branches, right? Cause I had to go to a branch to close that account. Um, I do visit branches quite often, not because I want to, but because I have to, cause <laughs> there are a lot of things I could not do online, unfortunately, right. um, but every year or so though, right. And, and when we talk a lot about this is people would dig up these stats, these beautiful graphs that says, look at the trend line, branches are dead, branch is going to die. Um, right every year it just keeps coming up and uh, i i do agree the number of branches are are decreasing so are the number of banks we've seen a fair amount of everything um but i think we are far from actually seeing the death that some of the people have predicted and and i still do personally think there's a role in bank branches in in a lot of communities um what do you think is going to happen with branches jim what are we going to see in the next 10 years Wow, 10 years. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay, there you go. I was going to say 10 years. I wish I had that crystal ball. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of our colleagues, I 
wish there are times I could just load them up in a car and drive them on this grand road trip to some of the smaller communities around the country where um, if you could talk to customers, if you could talk to people who are very much uh, used to the branch, still they would realize that, uh, you know, the death of the branch is so far, so far into the future um, because just generationally, we have so many people that branch banking has been part of their lives. Um, and there are a lot of communities where the branch serves more than a transactional center anyway. It's, it's almost a community center. It's a place to gather. It's a place to be. It's a place to see the people that you know. Um, but obviously, I mean, I believe the branch is absolutely in transition, the role of the branch, and that's been accelerated by the pandemic, clearly. Um, I think the thing that I always emphasize, though, is the speed and the scope of that transition. It's so different from market to market. You know, what's going on in California is going to be very different than what's going on in rural Pennsylvania, than what's going on in central Wisconsin, that's going on in central Texas. Um, now, obviously, there's a lot of evidence out there that shows like brick and mortar anything, not just banks or credit unions. You know, it's going to continue to fade and it has to evolve into something different. But there's the problem, though. I mean, just this morning, I was uh, tweeting again about the recent J.D. Power study, all about advice. I mean, how many bankers have, have kind of deluded themselves thinking that, you know, we're going to move from transitional or transactional to advisory, right? That our branches are going to be centers of advice. Well, part of what this study is saying look, only 19% of the people that were studied actually would even think to go to the bank for advice. And 33% said, nope, never going to go to my bank for advice. I'm going to look from friends. I'm going to go online. I'm going to do all these things. That, that the branch is not the default place right now to go somewhere. Um, you know, it's funny, our firm spent the early part of our company's history telling people where to put the branch, right? Now we're spending all the time telling how the branch has to evolve or where it has to consolidate or what happens, you know, where it has to go from here. But one of the things that I keep coming back to is physical space is always going to be a natural component as long as consumers still want to have an in-person face-to-face reaction uh, or interaction about banking with a banker. When they're going to want to see someone other than on an app, other than online, but in real-time physical space, and that's going to look a lot of different ways. You know, it's going to look like a coffee shop in some communities. It's going to look like a library in others. It's going to look like a community center or a shared workspace in others. But 
there's always going to be that need to connect human to human. So we're talking about, you know, the, the evolution of branches and the sort of necessity of changing the experience in banking. Um, I, I think it's, it's important for people that have never really worked in branches or never really thought about the, the branch experience when they do digitize to think about how, to your point, you could retain that human connectivity and and really understand why people would come into a branch um, another thing that we've seen during the pandemic and during the last you know 30 years of banking is that there's an awful lot of consolidation that theo alluded to earlier mm -hmm. we've seen this m a over the past year over the past years the consolidation and the fewer number of banks is, is part of a problem especially the smaller communities that are sort of mm -hmm. underserved so when we, we look at that, you know, banks consolidate because they're consolidating their operations. They're sort of becoming a larger, you know, asset base so that they could do more things efficiently. But it changes and has an impact on the customers that they're trying to serve. So what, what are some of the strategies that you'd like to see financial institutions deploy in that regard when it comes to serving the needs of more vulnerable communities or smaller communities? What's mm -hmm. what you thought there? You know, one of the things that I try to remind people about all the time is, look, we're going to see a lot more consolidation in the next several years simply because of the transformation that's required within the industry in order to meet the needs that consumers are presenting to us these days. Um, there are over 10,000 banks and credit unions right now, and two-thirds of those are under 300 million in assets. That means that there are a lot of banks and credit unions right now that are challenged to come up with not only the financial resources, but the human resources. You know, they're having a hard time competing for talent. Um, they've got to be able to um, scale up in order to have the resources they need to meet these kind of ever-changing and evolving needs. So M&A is definitely going to keep happening. Um, and honestly, for millions of consumers, that consolidation isn't going to make any difference because one of the things that has happened, you know, we've all gotten pretty sophisticated in terms of how to manage that M&A to make it pretty easy for folks to still have access to everything that they need. But you're right, there are a lot of vulnerable communities, a lot of uh, small rural communities, segments of the population that are going to suffer. And that's why I think sometimes bankers just need to get outside of the banking bubble and start thinking about the kind of partnerships that they can uh, bring to bear that will allow them to deploy some of their technology to serve those customers without having to have a full-blown 
ranch experience or a full-blown operation in some of these rural areas or underserved areas. Um, you know, I get a lot of flack every time I push out a story about postal banking, as an example. You know, uh, Theo's seen this like a couple of times where people have like piled on me and it's like, what are you doing sharing this kind of information? Stop, you know, putting that thought process out there. It was like, you know, instead of shutting down the conversation about postal banking or, or any other alternative, and I get it, community banks get really nervous when they see stories like that because they think, look, we have enough trouble with the competition we've got. We don't need that additional competition. But I say, wait a minute, why don't you use the conversation to explore new opportunities to you know, really think about, wait a minute. Okay. So these rural communities, small rural communities for now, anyway, they still may have a postal location. What would it be like if they were able to partner with a community bank that could put an ITM that gave them uh, access to a teller or banking services uh, in that location? It's like, okay, I get it. You don't want to turn your your banking situation over to the postal employee, but surely there are ways that you can provide access in areas where you no longer feel like you can have an operation. Um, I think often just by shutting down those kind of conversations, you end up not looking for solutions to the problems that are occurring uh, for those vulnerable communities. I, I, I can't agree more. And one of the things, especially for the rural communities and especially for older adults, we always know where the post office is. There's always a post office where you are, right? But there's never always a bank. And this is not a challenge just unique to the United States. We have seen examples in India. We've seen examples in Japan. We have seen examples in a lot of other places. And there are ways, right, that we can mm -hmm. we can serve these communities. And, and I do see a lot of the yelling and a lot of the stuff that you got piling on there. So <laughs> sorry about that, Jim. And that's why I maintain that I enjoy your feet because you are informative and insightful and on top of it you are a really really nice person which is very hard to find <laughs> on on the space so thank you oh, for that. thank you thank you i appreciate that so much <laughs> it's it, it's real um and uh and the challenge the challenge is real but um you know there's never a dull moment in in, in um in either in virtual or physical land i would say right um apart from you know hoping that we can finally get out of the mess that we're in, apart from hoping that we can get more people actually in their car and visit uh, places outside of their cozy little bubbles. Um, what gets you most excited and, and, and what is the one thing you would like to see happen or you would like to see mm -hmm. our industry being able to solve finally? Mm -hmm. Wow. I know it's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really could spend a whole afternoon trying to unpack that one. Um, and then watch I out guess, for the trolls afterwards. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I, you know, 
fundamentally, I think I get most excited when I see people get inspired to change. You know, when the light bulb goes off, you know, when they finally kind of courageously let go of the past ways of doing something. Uh, we were talking about drive throughs before. I remember I was working uh, with a bank down in Texas and there was one employee who had worked in the drive up for like 35 years. Um, and, you know, every day, same way, every day. And when we first started working with them, she was like so afraid that things were going to change. And she got right into my face and she was so animated. Um, and she was saying, I'm not going to do my job any differently and you can't make me. The great thing was by the end of our engagement, um, she really saw how some of the changes we were suggesting at the time were going to help her customer. And that made all the difference. And it was like the light bulb came on. She came up to me and there were actually tears in her eyes. She was so excited to see what she was able then now to do for her customers. So, you know, when people change that, that gets me ramped up. But I think that the one thing I wish as an industry, we could kind of put more attention to or more emphasis on is are the things that are actually going to increase value for for the customer for the consumer um, and those things that are actually going to expand financial inclusion you know i've been spending a lot of time in the last year or so helping some of our clients deal with the issue of d and i you know what what shuts so many banks down is not only their own inability as an institution, as, as a culture to embrace diversity and inclusion, but, you know, even as the FDIC, when they did their DEI report earlier this year, one of the things they were saying, we have to make sure we have a banking system that is more inclusive, that's safe and that's fair. And I wish there would be more uh, resources put to not only deal with the internal cultural issues, but then outward facing uh, where banks were more engaged in that dialogue. They were more engaged at, at finding solutions because, you know, at the end of the day, both employees and consumers need to feel like they can show up as their authentic selves. They need to feel like they can show up as who they are, what they need, without fear, without shame, you know, and it's because when we have that fairness, when we have that equity, that's when society as a whole is better. That's when we're stronger. Um, and I just wish our industry would lean in more to that. <laughs> Well, you're obviously uh, speaking our language, Jim, and uh, it's a pleasure to talk to someone who is not only focused on sort of the more human elements of banking, but is focused on the community bank sort of space. Uh, and so given that, uh, if you're a community bank or credit union and you're looking for some of those insights directly, Jim, how can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter if you search, uh, but if you come to our website, uh, formarketinsights.com, that's, that's the easiest way to connect. That's 
Great. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Jim. And it's it's been delightful as ever. And in case uh, folks you're curious, uh, do follow Jim. His handle is M-I underscore J-I-M. So we will see you back online and hopefully we'll see you in person soon. Uh, but thank you so much for your time today. And thank for, you both. Thank you. And for our listeners, thank you so much for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.